0: back to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed.
1: And I'm Amanda.
0: Amanda, on today's show we're going to be talking about reboots. Yes. Do we love them? We love them. Do we hate them? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> and <laughs> and we'll be saying hello to our friends as we talk about one of your favourite childhood stories. That's right. Babysitter's Club. Do you understand that reference?
1: I, Say hello to excuse your friends. Excuse me, do I understand the reference? Okay. I am the reference. I've had that
0: song <laughs> stuck in my head for like three days now.
1: Yes. So. <laughs> Same by the way.
0: So last time we spoke, you said you were going to do NaNoWriMo.
1: Yes, happy NaNo.
0: So have you stuck with it? I have. Yeah?
1: It's been four days. Four days. Four days. And I've done over the, what is it, 1,667 words each day. I'm genuinely impressed. Thank you. Um, Because I'd done a little bit before NaNo mm-hmm. started, I'm over 10,000 words now, mm-hmm. which is about I don't know, a quarter or a fifth of what I want. Yeah. So yeah, like total, um, for my particular book.
0: It's good. I think um you were kind of a bit shaky last time you messaged me. I, know. About- I think it's just the pressure. I've yeah. done
1: nano a couple of times. I've never I've never officially signed up for one mm. thing and I have never um completed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I've had a good crack a couple yeah. of times. Um RIMO for people who don't know is short for National Novel Writing Month originated in, in America, which would explain the short-sightedness of how far it might <laughs> <laughs> Exclusion
0: so, of the rest of the world. Yeah, like,
1: like the World Series. Um, yeah. So lots of people all over the world participate in NaNoWriMo and the idea is to basically write 50,000 words in a month. And mm-hmm. so you split it up and the month is November and you split it up and it ends up being about 1,667 words a day mm-hmm. if you write every day. And then obviously more if you miss weekends or have it, it works. So it's quite a lot. Um, a, that is a lot of words. It's a lot of words. I mean, for retirees or people who yeah. um, don't have a full-time job or don't have young children like me with a part-time job as well, mm-hmm. um, it might be a little bit more straightforward to sit down. Even then, I think it's a big ask. Yeah. Um, but for people who are trying to fit it in around day-to-day life, it can be... Pretty challenging, which is why I have not succeeded yeah. in, in achieving 50,000
0: words. Do you think what you've got is going to be a completed piece at the end of the month? Or oh, are you I'm, hoping... Ho- I'm
1: hoping for a completed yeah. first draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be a rough first draft, mm. um, but I had done a lot of pre-work in terms of plotting things out mm. uh, over time, so I'm not coming at the
0: page blank. Yeah, I think it would only work if you come in with a, a real plan.
1: Either come in with a real plan, or just come in with an attitude of "as long as I put words on the page, yeah. it does not matter." They do not have to make sense.
0: That's true, but one of those approaches, I think, generates a better result than the other <laughs> one. If you come it's, in with a plan and an absolutely,
1: outline. I mean, certainly for me, yeah. um, because I get you know in in my own head, and I start to question everything, and start to think, "Oh, this doesn't make any sense," and and um, and that gets a little bit disheartening. But for some people. A, for some people, it just flows like that. Mm. They come to the page and they're like, their imagination just yeah. kicks off and they go for it. And sure, their their first draft probably needs a lot of work, uh, but it's still a first draft. Yes. And it, you know, just because I have a plan doesn't mean mine's going to make any sense yeah. either.
0: So, have you? You've never attempted it? I've never attempted it, and I'm not sure if I ever will. No, I'm also not the kind of person who just bangs out yeah. like 2,000 words in, yeah. a, in a sitting, you know, maybe that might come with with practice. Um, oh, look,
1: like I said, I think it's an attitude. It's yeah. an attitude of like, I don't care. Like this has yeah. – it just has to be – it doesn't have to be good.
0: Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for just forcing yourself to sit down at the desk and actually put something down. And because sure.
1: you're, you're almost certainly going to have stuff that you, you keep. You hope so anyway. Like that's certainly what I'm hoping – Sometimes I come at the page and think, oh, this isn't too bad, actually. And then sometimes I think, oh, God, this is utter garbage, set it on fire. But it's something, you know, it's a starting point and – you know, you can't edit a blank
0: page. Just don't reread say. what you've written and you'll be fine. How dare just you? Keep going.
1: How dare you? Rereading no, don't, is don't how se- I procrastinate from actually <laughs> <exactly>. writing.
0: <laughs> That's, that, that is actually my um my big problem. Rereading the same thing I've written 56 times and yeah. getting it just right. Getting and it being perfect. Like, oh, it's perfect. It's delicious. Yeah.
1: No, I've been guilty of that in the past. I have to say uh, I started using Scribner, which mm. I was a bit hesitant to do, but I started fiddling with it and... I quite like it. And one of the things I like about it is that because you can break it up into these sub-documents, you can sort of just start from the start of where you were, mm-hmm. you know, and so instead of going all the way back to Chapter 1, if you're in the document that's Chapter 5 or 6 and you're tempted to restart reading, you can do that just from the start of Chapter 5 or 6 in a way that feels easier and yeah. more separate than a Word document, for example, which just flows and flows. So I like that about that's it. I find good. That's... and it's
0: it's such a bad habit because when you start a story, you're not you're not necessarily going to end up using the same paragraph as your opening anyway. Like you're just wasting time. Almost
1: certainly not. But... And I think that's where I got messed up in my last first draft that I did. I got so attached to things that really shouldn't be there because I'd spent so much time agonizing over, mm. and and they did. I think anyway. I think they they were worded really well. You know, they flowed nicely they shouldn't be there and you just can it's just very hard to delete something that you've spent so much yeah. time on. big chunks of something Absolutely. I should say too and I've, I've I'm determined this time to just let it be a mm. really rough first draft and just come at it big picture rather than obsessing over the detail until I actually know that what's there needs to stay there um, so hopefully I will have that hopefully if I'm doing nano you know you come out with something rough and then you can start to chip away at it
0: Let's talk about reboots.
1: Well, I guess the big thing about reboots, it's such a, like a buzzword. There's probably not really a great definition of what a reboot is. So I just wanted to sort of explore that with you today. I want to explore it through the world of the Karate Kid, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go into the Karate Kid franchise because I feel like it's a perfect way to explore what all these different types of, I mean, in this case, it's movie, but we can look at it as any kind of fiction, I suppose. So we've got the original, right? We've got the Karate Kid so The Karate Kid, 1984. Most people would be familiar with it and that's it. Iconic movie. So then we've got The Karate Kid Part 2 and The Karate Kid Part 3. Yep. So they're just straight sequels, mm-hmm. right? Ralph's still going. No funny Daniel son. No <laughs> funny business. A couple of like little doinks on the nose or whatever yep. if you get out of line from Mr Miyagi. But apart from that, no funny business. Okay, so then we get to the next Karate Kid.
0: Is that the one? So, so I'm pretty sure I've only seen Karate Kid Part One. I haven't seen beyond that. Okay, well, that's fortunate. There was they made so the next Karate Kid. The next Karate Kid is
1: Hilary Swank, right?
0: Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Oh, does that make it better? It doesn't make it better. I reassure you, it doesn't make it better. So, (laughs) Mr. Miyagi's still there. Yep. But Daniel's not there, so we've got Hilary Swank instead. So this is where it starts to get a little bit messy, Mm. right? Because. It's a sequel in the sense that it's still just continuing on. Mr. Miyagi's still there, that we're not sort of messing with the original kind of yep. world of the story. But we've got a new protagonist. Yeah. So to me, that we can't call that a sequel. It's not a sequel. The sequel would be what's happening to Daniel now, right? So I'd call that potentially a spin-off. But then it's complicated because we're not yeah. spinning off. Hillary Swank wasn't in any of the sequels or the original. Um, Mr. Miyagi was, of course, but... He's not the protagonist here, but nevertheless, I feel like, look, it's, it's the same world, it's the same story world, but we're taking it on a new, like we're spinning out from that original world and we've mm. got a new story, albeit a very similar story <laughs> about a young yes. karate kid discovering yeah. themselves and growing through Mr. Miyagi's advice yeah. and wisdom.
0: My, my opinion on that, I think spin off is different. I think to be categorized as a spin off, you need to have that character already exist. In the show, like it even if it was a minor character in in uh, Karate Kid Three, say then that could be. A I, I
1: fully agree with you. The, my only issue is that I just don't know what else I would call it. I mean, apart from just an absolutely offensive cash grab, I don't yeah, know what yeah. else to
0: call it. Yeah, I think I think that's a sequel because the, the example that I thought of was Star Wars. Like yep. you have the the Star Wars sequels, Classic. and they yep. come with the prequels, right? Mm-hmm. Which are prequels, but obviously all the actors are different. It's not a reboot. I think you could have a prequel and a sequel with different characters. I think that's. I okay. guess
1: yeah. I see. I see your point because we're looking at different protagonists in Star Wars as well. All right. So moving on from there, right? Then we've got the Karate Kid twenty ten. So we've got Jaden Smith here.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about that one.
1: Mr Miyagi is no longer with us here mm-hmm. in this world, and it's Jackie Chan. And funnily enough, there's not even any karate. So it's <laughs> kung fu. It's set in China. And talk about shameless. So is grabs. that a
0: reboot or a remake? Well, this is
1: where okay, I haven't actually seen it, mm-hmm. so I was having a little looky-loo, and apparently it's a remake because it's pretty. Even though we're talking <laughs> kung fu <laughs> and Jackie Chan, yes. um, it's apparently a pretty faithful, almost scene-by-scene kind yep. of yep. adaptation, I guess, of, yep. of what we were talking about in the original. So I would absolutely call that a remake a reimagining maybe
0: oh, yeah i think that's a tough one but all remakes to some extent like they modernize they they reimagine certain things yes. that just wouldn't work
1: to varying degrees yeah. and i mean i think the classic for the remake is disney they remake upon a remake yes. upon a remake yeah. so we might have a quite faithful remake um which is just like look we're to, it's a cartoon now and we're we're doing it this way but it's the same old cinderella whereas at other times you know where going a, a bit more left of centre, where we're taking something in a new direction.
0: Mm. All
1: right, so anyway, then we've got um, apparently rumours of a Karate Kid 2024, the Karate Kid 2024. Now, mm. we don't know much about this one. We don't know. It's Sony who's doing it apparently, but apparently it's continuing on from the original storyline. So it's still in that same world. Um, it's not a new story as as in the Jaden Smith adaptation this is like a completely a continuation a
0: continuation of the original so we're we're original, discarding Jaden supposedly Smith. never happened James well, Smith never <laughs>
1: happened okay. we can just pretend it never happened and let's say it does have some of the original cast and we know they're still acting and it's continuing on daniel's story from the original like it's a sequel i'd call that a revival right
0: this is kind of top gun territory. same guy playing the same the same actor playing the same character twenty, thirty, however many years. Let's on. say
1: it is. Let's yeah. say it is for yeah. argument's sake. I'd call it a, a revival. it's it's sort of it's it's special. you don't mm. see that often. Um, anyway, then we've got my favourite of the bunch, Cobra Kai. I would call Cobra Kai a reboot. You could argue it's a spin-off because we're looking at the character of Johnny, mm-hmm. at least in the original first season of of Cobra Kai, It's Johnny's point of view. We yep. start to branch out a little bit into other characters as we go along. It's a continuation of the same story, but it's Johnny's world. Daniel's still there, but we're looking at everything from Johnny's perspective. Now, I guess you could call it a spin-off, but what I think is a little bit different to what a classic spin-off is is that Daniel's still looming large here. And like it's like a sequel. Yeah. But but I think the really key thing is too and what, what I think tips it over into reboot territory is that now we've got a whole new cast of characters mm. so it's the young kids who are now coming into the dojos of these yep. senseis and we're looking at their story and, of course, in that sense it's being modernised too and in quite a funny way I would say that Johnny really makes it really fun to modernise this story because he's so set like stuck back in the Mm -hmm. 80s basically and these kids are coming at him with these new terms and all this new stuff and he's very unfamiliar with it. So we've got middle-aged men Mm -hmm. who still hold this grudge from the All Valley tournament back in the 80s and yet it's this whole new cast of characters too and it's this new modern take on something and it's a completely new format because we're talking a Netflix series rather than a film. Yep. I think it's got enough different about it that you would call it a reboot. And I don't know that that matters or not,
0: but... The best definition I found of a reboot was that it it discards continuity and it recreates its characters.
1: Yeah. Right, so we're so. talking about, like, literally rebooting a computer. Like, we're restarting. Let's start from yeah. scratch kind of thing.
0: But it sounds like, in this case, things that did happen in the show have actually happened. Yes. You know, so, so, so it's so not we're not really... messing with the chronology here. the continuity is still there. And that's what that again, that's what we take Star Wars as well. like there's yep. continuity all the way through. It's not like they're restarting again with a new with a new trilogy. So, um, it, it's a spin-off, but like in the weird way that it's not a spin-off of the same.
1: I mean, I think you could spin off, like, oh gosh, I can't think of an example, but I'm sure you could spin off like, a town right like i'm sure there's been tv series where actually someone was just a walk-on character and i can't it's not springing to mind mm. right now but a walk-on character who then it, you know gets their own entire show yep and in that sense it's not a spin-off because it's really got nothing
0: to do with well i mean Be- better call saul is almost that to breaking yep. bad because saul goodman was he i wasn't feel like better call character.
1: saul is like an absolute classic spin-off that's yeah. a perfect example yes. of a spin-off.
0: But it's it's also a prequel. So there is a lot of overlap here. Like, you Absolutely.
1: Can't... No, and, I'm, and I mean it doesn't matter, I suppose. It's more just you hear this term reboot getting bandied about and it's just trying to understand, well, what does that really mean? And I guess it's kind of what it really means is it's a marketing term that yeah. they use to try and yeah. get the old fans back onto something new. But in terms of Cobra Kai, because it, it is still in that original story world, but I think it's just got so much that's new. It is a completely new story. I mean, mm. basically we're looking at the same world again, but this time Daniel's the bad guy
0: instead right. of the good guy. Yeah.
1: And that's what I love about it. I was starting to think about, well, what makes a good reboot or a good reimagining of a story? Yeah. Right? So I was thinking number one to me, Cast you have to have key members of the original cast. Key For members. a reboot. Well, depends how you look at reboot because yeah. if we start going down the sort of superhero movie realm, yes. yep. you might have completely new cast of characters. But I'm talking about this type of reboot, this mm-hmm. type of like, okay, we're taking something that was mega popular back in the 80s or back in some past period of time and we're going to present it fresh to a new audience. And if you're going to do that, you need the original cast. Yeah. So I'm thinking here too of... The Mighty Ducks, right? Mm-hmm. Which I still haven't watched. Which I shock even myself having not watched it. But I it's not appealing to me because yeah, you have, oh. <laughs> get out. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just think like it's not appealing because I think yeah. it's something else. You've, yeah. you've given us something else here. There's not enough. There are some original cast members, but it's not enough. There was uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. Yes, you've seen Home Alone. I I've hope. seen Home Alone. Oh thank God. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> Home Sweet Home Alone is just a completely new movie. Yeah, but we've got. We have one of the original cast members from Home Alone, which is Buzz, the mm-hmm. big brother. And look, it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. I guess to me, like if you want, if you really wanted to redo or reboot or revive Home Alone, it must have
0: Macaulay Culkin in it. Yeah. So if you're going for that nostalgic reboot, like yes, this is what I'm talking about. Exactly. Like Cobra Kai. Like you're targeting people who have watched and loved the original. Yeah. And in that case, I think, yeah, you definitely need some sort of anchor. But if you're trying to reboot it for a younger audience, then you don't want Macaulay Culkin anywhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, not, not specifically, but but it's not going to be something that um, that kids really... It's not relevant know, to them. It's not relevant.
1: That nostalgia doesn't exist for exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It might be a little Easter egg for the parents or something like that. But uh... Yes, got you.
1: So if we're talking nostalgic reboots, number one is the cast. Number two is the script, right? It's still got to be a good script. It's got to be well written. Um, I think people switch off pretty quickly. Look, I have seen Top Gun and I, I don't know about that script. That's that's questionable. But I think they went so hard on all the other nostalgic elements and all the cool fight scenes that they got away with
0: it. Yeah, I've, I've got to say it's a hard one for, for writers and, um, and and producers like because just about every nostalgic reboot gets – completely slammed and i think actually top gun may be an, an exception because i've heard good things yeah it's, it's only had good things said yeah. about it i think a lot of people when they really think about it, what they want is almost a remake like they want to see yeah. the original again um and if it's too different if it's too new then it, it will alienate fans I mean, of the original i guess in, it in
1: depends because sometimes if you go too hard copying it just becomes predictable pointless mm. and just straight up not a good story. Yeah. And I would say I'm probably in a a unique position where I saw the new Top Gun and I haven't seen the original Top Gun, right? And I started watching it and got bored because it's not really my thing and never finished it. And so I've seen the new one but, like, even I could tell what the references were Mm -hmm. because it was so...
0: Because they were winking at you, basically. Oh, they were so
1: winking at you and Tom Cruise, oh, gosh, he's a winker, like... (laughs) So, you know, like it, it, was, it was funny though. I think when you're going to that sort of movie, you're there to just have a laugh. You're mm. there to have a smile. You're not there to be educated. Yeah. But I, I disagree with you because you're saying you've got to be sort of really true to the story. And I think what you need if you're going to really successfully reboot something is you actually need something fresh because mm. otherwise what, do you, what are we doing here? You need to have a fresh idea. And whether that's just bringing something like into the modern era which is a bit what Cobra Kai does. Mm-hmm. But I think the cool thing about Cobra Kai, the really cool thing is that we're getting the, the original villain's perspective. I think that's what makes it really interesting. Yeah.
0: You've got to have enough of what made the original great without just redoing the original, I think, is yes. is what makes it challenging. So going to the the category which I've called chronic reboots, chronic which, which reboots. I think of the like the most interesting because being a reboot is kind of baked into what those show, what mm. those movies are about. Mm-hmm. And the big one, like the number one for me, is James Bond, right. which is like rebooted every decade since mm. you know the fifties, mm-hmm. and that's just part of it. And you expect it, like you expect it's going to end, and then it's going to be rebooted, and it's the same character. Their whole backstory is retold. It can mm. be changed. It can be shifted. And it doesn't matter because it's a stupid idea in the first place. <laughs> <ways. laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and there's an audience for it and you know what to expect.
1: You know, my friend Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Tracy's a big fan of um, of James Bond. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're all so different. How do you how do you remain a fan, you know, through yeah. <laughs> through the ups, and downs, <laughs> through the ups and, downs <laughs> and downs of a reboot world? Yeah. But look, what about Batman? What's so it? Wait, wait, wait. Who's, who's your favourite Batman?
0: It's obviously George Clooney.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the George Clooney Batman, if we're talking cheese, yeah, it was cheese. amazing. It was amazing. My mm. favourite Batman is Michael Keaton.
0: That's that's a good choice. Thank you.
1: Uh, but I, I am also partial to a Christian Bale push-up. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm distracting myself. Go on. <laughs> Well, I mean, what's like we like to talk about writing, like to what extent do you think like if we're talking Batman here, mm. to what extent does the writing feed into that? I mean, a lot of these especially the superhero movies, it's mm. all about the sets and the costumes yeah. and the stars that you get to play these characters. I know for me, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, if it's poorly written, it just doesn't. Yeah, I land. think I
0: think a lot of the time in Hollywood, like the the script is almost an afterthought. Like, they, mm. I Certainly imagine for the these process. Yeah, I imagine the process is like, let's make a Batman movie. Yeah. Who do we want as Batman? Yes, Let, that's let's get step that guy. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's get someone to write it. Um, who's free? Who's, who's free? <laughs> no, no. We're going to need like six people to write it. And I think the bar is like, does this screenplay work?
1: Can we shoot it? We can shoot it. How much it, is it going to cost? I think is probably it's the first story, question.
0: Exactly. It's 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 not really about telling a story it's all kind of from the top down
1: and maybe that's why I just don't connect with these movies Mm. so much I mean certainly I've seen my share of superhero movies um and some are better than others but see that's where I would start to say why are some better than others and it's because someone bothered to actually create a story not just a visual orgy of <laughs> whatever they've got going on. It's 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 a story and you're you're seeing a character arc, you're seeing something happen, you know, and you're invested in the characters. Mm. And I think so often, you know, if you if you're talking these real two-dimensional cartoon characters, you don't get invested in them. You're yeah. just there to like eat your popcorn and yep be like passively sit through it and then it's done and you've forgotten about it the instant you walk out the door.
0: You want to see some cool shit up on the screen.
1: Yeah. I mean, and there's a, you know, there's an audience for that. Um, but that's not me.
0: Now it's time for the segment we like to call get wrecked in which we force each other to enjoy things that we like. So this week you've, uh, inflicted upon me the babysitters club. So, Tell me, why have you made me read this?
1: Listen, I'm well aware that The Babysitter's Club is not a literary masterpiece, but I credit Anne M. Martin and this series with why I want to write. It's the reason I want to write and it's the type of thing I want to write in my soul. Um, And I don't know if that's connected to some deep trauma within me (laughs) somewhere that I haven't really come to terms with, Um, but it really is this profound influence on me and mm-hmm. on who I was growing up. And I guess I still look at it now as something that I guess I almost don't even understand it, the power it had over me. Um, and I wanted to revisit it and I wanted to see what you think as a, a, an objective party mm-hmm. coming in um, from the outside, absolutely not the demographic whatsoever and see what you thought.
0: Yeah. My experience until last week with the Babysitter's Club um, I remember it as a child mm-hmm. in school in maybe year five, year four, all the girls were just mm-hmm. completely obsessed with babysitters club, and all the boys were baffled by their obsession. Mm-hmm. Like as a as a boy, it was just why do these girls want to look after
1: Babies. <laughs> See, that's fascinating to me because I didn't know or
0: care what boys
1: thought yeah. at that time. So I've never really turned my mind to what boys oh, look, thought. Don't of get me wrong,
0: that we weren't, we weren't like perplexed and racking our brains. We were just like,
1: <laughs> really? Were you discussing it in your book clubs? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: it was, it was a, we were very preoccupied. No, we it was just kind of dismissed. And um, yeah, so I read, I read the first, the first book, which is uh, Christie's Great Idea. Mm-hmm. And I also watched the original nineteen ninety uh, TV series, the first episode,
1: mm-hmm. and which wasn't actually Christie's great idea. That's right. right. That's it was right. Marianne and.
0: Yeah, it was Marianne, and it was it was the one about Logan. I think Marianne I think it's the guy's yeah, yeah, Logan. Yeah, and and also the the reboot. Speaking of reboots, mm-hmm. the the first episode, of the reboot, which was uh, Christie's great idea. So, yeah, look as as a book and, and reading this now in my forties, mm-hmm. I'm obviously not the right, not the demographic, <laughs> not the target demographic, um, but I do read books a, aimed kind of probably a little bit younger to my to my daughters. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't bad as far as as far as kind of okay. that kind of genre of book right, goes. I'll take
1: that as glowing praise
0: from you. Yeah. So I, I think just things I noticed uh, about the book they're not so much about the babysitting. Like they're they're very much about Saying hello to your friends. About saying hello to your friends, about <laughs> friendship. They're, they're about um about the kind of themes that obviously kids of that age are affected by, are interested in. Um and the characters reflect that and really the, the parts where they're actively babysitting are, are the minor parts of the story. And, in fact, they're probably – in this book, it's probably the least interesting part, where mm-hmm. where they do share the stories about the four characters doing the babysitting and what happens in the antics. Mm-hmm. The book's not really about that, and that's and for me reading it, that wasn't really that didn't really appeal to me. But you've got the themes about the characters; they're obviously going through things like divorce, not their own, personal not their own personal divorce. divorce, but parents. So Christie's parents are um, uh, her mother's getting remarried. That's a, a major theme, obviously mm-hmm. something that affects affects a lot of kids. That age, we, we have some of the kids well, basically discovering boys, and some mm-hmm. of the kids being at different levels when it comes to that. I mm-hmm. guess. It,
1: Listen, now you've assumed some knowledge here. We yeah. should probably just give a brief a brief uh, yeah. view overview of the plot. Um, so Christy's great idea is the first book in a very long series, yeah. um, multi multi book series, and basically it tells a story of Christy who has the idea to start a babysitters club. So it's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Uh, The story itself starts with her at school and she's talking too much in class and she gets in trouble. So that's sort of establishing her character there. Um, But we quickly move into the friendship and into her relationship with her neighbour, a friend across the street, and how these girls come together to form this babysitter's club. But on the side there's this whole sort of subplot about Christy and her family and about – her relationship with this incoming potential stepfather and with her siblings, and then obviously her relationship with the friends in the club as well. Mm-hmm. So as you've indicated, the babysitting is very secondary to all of this stuff. Um, it's the club itself and the idea for that and the friendship that's the, the key theme. But I think in Christy's great idea actually the main plot centres really around, apart from starting the babysitter's club, mm-hmm. it centres around her relationship with her potential stepfather. Yeah. And, I mean, we're, we're really dealing with the mundanity of adolescent, early adolescence. You know, it's day-to-day stuff we're talking about here. Pets, brothers, mm-hmm. you know, um, what's for dinner. Like these yeah. are the kinds of yeah. themes that are coming they, up. They love pizza. They, they do love a pizza. They love an M&M. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> uh, Stacey loves a salad. And then... <laughs> At the end, we end with a sleepover, which is pretty much if we're talking goals of early adolescent mm-hmm. girls, like a sleepover is just pretty much what you're angling for 90% of the yep. time. So that's just a, a nice way to end, end that story. So it's fairly straightforward plot.
0: So there's four main characters. And as I understand it, there are a lot more that kind of get introduced as the series go on goes on. Mm-hmm. So the four main characters are Christy, Marianne, Claudia and Stacy. I, th- I think after, after we spoke last year, you asked like which character mm-hmm. am I? I didn't find the characters to be that well fleshed out after Mm -hmm. just the first
1: book. Yeah, fair. Uh,
0: From what I heard, the different books in the series are written from different perspectives. Is that that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is obviously Christy and you get much more of a feel for her Mm -hmm. character and obviously her family. So Christy herself is, you'd say she's very extroverted. Mm -hmm. She loves... Organising, she's a real doer. She's very, um, I guess, bossy and mm-hmm. um, you know maybe controlling.
1: So that's a straight me right there, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, her parents are going through a divorce. She's in a, uh, a situation where. Uh, her stepdad has moved in he's very nice and caring and and very supportive in the background of the babysitters club but she obviously doesn't uh, at first um recognize oh, that don't and...
1: spoil it. spoiler spoiler <laughs> alert spoiler alert
0: <laughs> so as a as a child my my parents were divorced and I was in a similar situation at, at a similar age but I, so I could sympathise with her and understand exactly that kind of dynamic Mm -hmm. and that that inclination for a child to, regardless of how friendly and supportive the dad was, it's still something that you kind of push back against.
1: Mm, There's a loyalty there somewhere. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely, kind of misguided or whatever. And so the other characters are much less fleshed out. So Marianne comes across as a quiet person. She's like the opposite, very Mm -hmm. introverted so she kind of prefers to work more in the background and her family situation is her mother has passed away Mm -hmm. and that's all I think that we know about her from the book, from Mm -hmm. the first book. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have Claudia and what we know about her is she has an older sister Mm -hmm. who is much smarter than her. She's like a very high achieving older Mm -hmm. sister and so that's the dynamic that we're kind of being set up there, living in the shadow of an older sibling, which is mm-hmm. I'm sure is a very relatable thing to, to a lot of people as well. Certainly for my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we don't get much beyond that. I think um, she's the only character who's not, I guess, white American. She's from, uh, her family's from Japan. And I think that's, oh, and the, the, her other characteristic is that she's into boys. And oh, so she's, scandal. yeah, so she's she's kind of drifted a little bit away from, I
1: mean, that's a Christine. classic trope of middle grade, um, yeah. so it absolutely shines through,
0: and then there's Stacy who uh who's the new girl in town, mm-hmm. and so there's a couple of another trope <laughs> another trope a new girl, but that's again another common experience, people mm-hmm. moving around, but also she has something that the others don't in that she's very different. She's from an exotic place, which is New York city. She dresses more stylishly than they do. She's got like something about her that they, they envy. Uh, And we find out that, uh, by the end that she's also diabetic. So she's mm-hmm. got an illness that she's dealing with too. So I think there's, in those four characters, there's a lot of ground that's covered mm-hmm. in just the experience of people in that age group.
1: No, you're right. And I think that was probably something that was, look, I don't know because I didn't read widely enough at that age. I read it just a hell of a lot. of <laughs> <laughs> <to Sitter's> Club, <laughs> yeah. um, But I think it probably did, it was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of how it was showing a diverse range of characters. Mm-hmm. And not to say it hadn't been done, but it this of course, was much more prolific, so it was something that we saw much more of.. Yep. um, and and I think just the feminist undertones of it as well, like mm. I think Anne M Martin herself is a feminist, you know, and mm. so, and I guess that's probably what I connected with, really under everything is just this kind of girl power thing but not not a surface level girl power like a legitimate these girls can actually start a business they can achieve what they want to achieve um they've got a great supportive friendship they've got supportive families and they're just going to go and get what they
0: want yeah they they have real agency in a way that a lot of characters in that age group
1: don't and i think you see it more now um but I and you know it's always been there but I think there was just this more like the maturity of mm. their goals you know yeah. and and I was always a little entrepreneur myself and so I'm like taking notes yeah you know? <laughs> like how can I make money um and I think that was really empowering for young girls yeah to think oh actually not I can babysit but I can start a
0: business I thought that was interesting about the the book because there's nothing in this book that is fantastical. It it wasn't about finding a new... Dimension, or it wasn't about like going to I don't know Narnia or something, or yes. or or hanging out with Transformers or Ninja Turtles or whatever. <laughs> it was it, it's it's very grounded in reality. And it, what I said was so baffling is like you're reading a book about looking after to kids, like that's just the most mundane thing.
1: I think what was interesting to me as an adult too, coming back to the series and sort of just investigating a little bit. What it was Why I liked it And who the author was You know Mm. Not just reading And enjoying the stories But looking a bit At the context That it was written in And discovering That in fact It wasn't Anne M. Martin's idea So there was another editor um, At Scholastic Who had read Another book About babysitting Mm -hmm. So perhaps It's a reboot In itself Um, But had read A a standalone book About babysitting Um, It was called Katie's Babysitting Job Right. right, So similar and had sort of thought to herself, oh, I can see a bit of potential here and contacted Anne M. Martin sort of saying, hey, I've got this idea, will you write it? And she agreed. And, I mean, give this woman a raise because <laughs> <laughs> they started with four books, like it was a four-book deal and then they were so wildly successful that they had two more books and then 12 more books mm. and then by the end, I think, um, checking my notes, I believe it was 213 So 213 books by the end, which included a bunch of bumper specials and all different offshoots. So wildly successful. And it's just fascinating, like, to have gone from this small idea. Now, Anne M. Martin herself had ghostwriters. She didn't Mm -hmm. write all 213. I think she estimated herself she wrote somewhere between 60 and 80 herself um, and then no doubt had editing credits on, on at least many of the others. But to think, like, what is it? What You know, and I'm saying I credit my whole d- love of writing to these books.
0: What do you think it was for you?
1: I th- Absolutely that agency, that idea that it was just like this awakening of mm. like, wow, um, kids that age are doing something that I consider to be a very adult and yep. big thing. And I think it's easy to forget sometimes as adults, like we're we're talking about these simple themes, but like, is it simple? Is it simple to be experiencing divorce? Mm. And is it simple to be experiencing what life is like with a single parent and a mother who died when you were a baby? Like these are huge themes actually, and they don't really delve into them in a way that's particularly deep or, or distressing. Yeah. It's all, you know, the stepfather's lovely and he's very supportive and – the mother's just not there and it just all comes out in the father's a bit anxious, you know, like as if kids don't feel these things deeply, as if kids just aren't conscious of what's actually going on.
0: Yeah. And it's less about having someone kind of try to talk them through the process of what, mm. what to do. It's just about seeing someone else going through the similar experiences and seeing how they react and at least... I guess, um, you know, to the point I made about when I was a child and going through a similar experience, just seeing someone react in the same way as you, realising that, that you're actually normal and that mm. these, these experiences are normal and because you have like a divorce or maybe you're dealing with an illness or something doesn't make you kind of weird and, mm. and different.
1: One thing that I found interesting reading back Christy's great idea is just it's not that well written. You know, no. as much as I love it, it's adverb central. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition. It's very much I'm Christy Thomas and I am bossy. Um, yeah. My my best friend Marianne is shy. Mm. Lots of tell don't show, if you will, <laughs> but it works. And I guess you know I, I'm trying to write in middle grade, and sometimes you know I overthink things, and I come back to it and I think, gosh, it's it's pretty simple. It's a simple story, simply told. And that's all it needed to be.
0: So let me tell you about the TV shows. (laughs) Did you – so you haven't seen them since you were – No, it's been
1: quite a while. I had them all on VHS and Mm. I watched them faithfully and repetitively um, many times. Um, I'd probably watch five seconds and then be reminded of the entire thing. Yeah. But –
0: Yeah, so the first series from 1990, and there was a movie as well, but I think that was later, like 95. I really didn't like the first, the original series. (laughs) <laughs> it's very ni- it's very early 90s but <laughs> even beyond that like so the very first episode is about Marianne it's there's no establishment it's assumed um, knowledge <laughs> it's assumed, it's assumed that you've read all of the books yeah. and and probably a lot of the people watching it have assumption. read all the books yeah. because it doesn't just start with these four characters you've got characters and they're obviously part of the babysitters we know club, who but they they're are. not they're not mentioned who they are. You probably, didn't know who they were. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> and they probably as a as a reader you're like, Oh, I know who that is because they're wearing jeans or some distinctive like <laughs> that's, that's <thing>. so true. <laughs> <laughs> and the acting was Really bad, and even for the standard of kids' show, what are we talking? Were
1: are we talking overacting?
0: Are we talking oh, forgetting lines? What are we talking? No, no, they were just—they were just not really convincing at all. Like. Mm-hmm. But the pacing was just all over the place. Like there were no. Very few long scenes. Mm -hmm. It was all just kind of little quick grabs and then another scene and then quick grabs.
1: All right. So a a thumbs down on the original TV series. Didn't love it. Didn't love it. tell me now, how did you feel about the Netflix reboot?
0: Yeah, so that was much better. Mm -hmm. And I watched the first episode, Christy's Great Idea. Mm -hmm. It seemed to be a lot better written. Mm. they they make an effort to demonstrate what the characteristics are of each or mm. the traits of each character through the dialogue through each scene and they they try to kind of establish it there's a lot more care and thought taken mm. um as opposed to the first one which just kind of just tried to hit the beats and you should already know who these people are mm.
1: well i guess in this case they really had to reestablish who the characters were mm. because these because it's a reboot you know because it's very much a modern take on and that's its whole jam like it's a modern take on the babysitter's club that's what it is and that's where a lot of the in jokes come in and that sort of thing but it's also something that was designed to appeal to a new audience Mm -hmm. as we were talking about before who doesn't have the nostalgia element but I think it's probably fairly safe to say it was largely a nostalgia job and they were trying to get parents who might then watch it with their kids um but regardless, they're creating these new characters. They're creating, yes, they've got those same sort of real core elements, but what does that look like in a modern environment? Yeah,
0: and I think they were pretty respectful, I guess. So they, they tried not to change things, I think.
1: Yeah, I think they did it in a way that was faithful and just like a an update rather than like a unpacking and sort of rearranging what was there before. They've just sort of given it a little fresh
0: yeah. take. For example, they mentioned obviously the internet exists. So yes. things are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still they went with the flyers. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't just send out an email. They did do flyers. They
1: found a way to still make that they make sense. They found a
0: way, exactly. Yeah. And, and um, there's, they still have the landline in, yeah. um, is, it, is it Claudia's room? I Claudia's like, room, yeah. yeah.
1: And that becomes a joke, which is yeah. fabulous. Yeah, and, and
0: because that's so anachronistic now, they have to explain what it is yes. and they have to explain why it's there and but just, at least you i can think consider i just felt a effort.
1: gray hair <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think as well i think what really works for this updated babysitters club is the production value like they've oh, put yeah. some money into it yeah. and the actors are good It's yeah. some quality acting but you know the sets the costumes even the writing like that they would have invested some time and money into actually doing a good job yeah, of this for sure. i think And I love all the little in-jokes. So we've got... Alicia Silverstone as Christie's mother. Yeah. Did you did you catch the clueless joke?
0: I thought I did in retrospect because I didn't realize it was her until until, I, until later. <laughs> and then I was like, "Did she I use think the word she, Well, in fact, at some I'm point? not
1: sure if it was that episode. Now that I think about it, but she does call her mum clueless.
0: Yeah, no, point. I think it was that episode, mm.
1: which is great. Like that's appealing to the same audience. It's a completely yeah, different reference, but not you know, Alicia Silverstone herself yeah. was a fan. You know, and yeah. so that that comes into it as well. Mm. I know that Anna. Martin was a producer mm-hmm. on the series so I'm sure yeah. that played into it as well but yeah there is this real sort of respect and kind of like um, reverence in yeah. it and I think that's what I love about Cobra Kai too it's this reverence for the original this mm. love of the original and you can just see it flowing through it's not just a cheap like yeah. cash grab like I'm sure they love the money um, but it, that's not what it's for someone has is passionate about it and yep. they've gone let's do this and make it great let's invest our whole selves into this and make it something yeah. that's really wonderful but having said that it didn't get renewed for a second season oh really which I was surprised about um because i i guess it just didn't get the numbers yeah. um, that they were expecting but yeah it has to, but dollar. it has to
0: also be appealing to kids that's the other thing
1: and perhaps it wasn't i yeah. mean
0: i can't speak well for look kids. I, I watched it with my kids we we watched both of them Mm. So the first, the original series, mm. let's call it, they didn't like it. They, we, they watched it and they were just like, what was, what was that? <laughs> I think it just looks really old to mm. them. It just looks really outdated. Mm-hmm. They can't really relate to It's like to these us watching a black
1: and white movie. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it, but it really is. Like they're, they're, their clothes are just so weird. and mm, It's
1: distracting, I suppose. The video is
0: so kind of low-res yeah. of that VHS quality. But I think they liked the the reboot. The,
1: the reboot, though, is something interesting about it too. It's quite old in its themes, you know, like mm-hmm. in uh, I mean adult in its themes at times. Yeah. You know, as oh, the yeah. episodes progress, you know, we start talking about Transgender kids there's a lot to do with sexuality, yeah. um you know these themes that weren't explored in the original series, and yeah. it's probably appropriate because I think most kids are probably uh, a bit older when it comes yeah. to all that stuff and not so you know clueless and not clueless and inso- innocent maybe yeah. as they were in the nineties, but that's interesting because I guess my my daughters are a little bit younger than mm. yours, and I'm not sure I'd be comfortable letting them watch it. Um, yeah. Not so much that alternative sexualities and things like this, that's wonderful, but just the way they explore it, it's a little bit more than would be appropriate yeah, for uh, that age group.
0: Yeah. And the, the original Babysitter's Club coming at a time or being fairly unique for its time in how it presented itself, mm-hmm. it's not really unique anymore. No. So there's, they're, they're probably exposed to a lot of the same ideas in different ways through different media and it may not have that same appeal.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I was trying to get my eldest daughter interested in reading The Babysitter's Club and she's got very different tastes to me. Um, she's a big fan of dragons and and that's pretty much, we pretty much have opposite tastes and I suggested it to her and she, the look on her face was just like, why? Yeah. Why would I read that? It just sounds completely boring. Yeah. Nothing happens and I couldn't sell it to her because she wasn't wrong. So, <laughs> All
0: right. so look, Babysitter's Club.
1: Final verdict. Final verdict. Eh, no.
0: <laughs> no. Look, I can see. De- I can definitely see why it appealed to you.
1: But we haven't established who you
0: are. I'm probably Marianne. Like, I'm. I'm definitely not a Christie. I can't. I. M- am I a Claudia? Like, that's. <laughs> how, how can I be a Claudia? That's kind of a.
1: You can't say you're a Claudia. That'd be too up yourself. Yeah. Everybody wants to be Claudia.
0: Yeah, and I don't and
1: know. Are you a Logan?
0: I don't know much about Logan. Mm.
1: Maybe you're a Mallory.
0: I don't know who that is. That's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna go pretty far from the Babysitters Club for my recommendation. Why am I not surprised? Yeah. So the point of the whole point of Get Wrecked is to inflict physical pain. <laughs> so I'm gonna make you watch Synecdoche, New York, which is a movie from two thousand and eight. Uh, mm-hmm. Starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, directed by Charlie Kaufman. Actually, this is a movie I didn't. I probably watched a couple of years ago, so I can't say it's influential mm-hmm. in any way to my writing journey or my life or anything along those lines. But I think it's a good movie about uh, about art. What what okay. art is. What right. being artistic is all about. What what um, living a fulfilled life. Is all about um, hooked. Sounds and, amazing, um, and maybe presenting the story in in kind of a, a different and unique way.
1: All right, and should we maybe encourage our listeners to join us on this
0: little journey? Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't, good seen luck it.
1: finding it. Where are we? Going, where do we find it?
0: But maybe I'll um, put that in the show notes. It shouldn't be too difficult to find. It's not an obscure movie by any stretch, but uh, but it's a good one. Okay, so,
1: great. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, it sounds good.
0: Yeah, I think that's the show for the week. Yeah. So, Amanda, tell us where people can contact us.
1: So you can email us at notquiterightpodcast at gmail.com. Catch us on Instagram at notquiterightpodcast and on Twitter, nqwpodcast.
0: And you can go to notquiterightpodcast.com and there are links there to all of all of our Twitters and emails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: make sure you follow. Follow the show. Mm-hmm. You'll get an update when a new episode drops and... We'll be able to continue the conversation. Be great.
0: All right. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Until then, right on. Right on. (laughs) Something doesn't seem quite right.